Vicki Fitch here, your direct sales expert and the host of Vicki Fitch Live, A Fresh Perspective. As you guys know, on the first Monday, Wednesday, sorry, I can't even get my day straight today. The first Wednesday of every month, we have Evict the Bully in Your Head. I have a new book coming out called Evict the Bully in Your Head, where we bring on guests that are, that have gone through trials and tragedy and turned them into triumph. And that's what our guest today has done. So we will talk a little bit more about Evict the Bully in Your Head, but let me introduce here on episode 17 of Vicki Fitch Live, Evict the Bully in Your Head, Miss Tamara Thompson. Tamara is the CEO of Serious Take Productions. She is an entrepreneur. She is a speaker. She is a female documentary film director, which is rock star written all over it. She also has produced uh, for corporate companies like Microsoft and Starbucks and Safeway. Um, she's also done music videos for people for, on American Idol and The Voice. Her resume goes on and on. She is an absolute rock star, a delight to be around, and someone I know you're going to completely enjoy. So without further ado, I would love to introduce you to my dear friend, Miss Tamara Thompson. Yay, Tamara! How Yay. are you? I'm doing awesome. Thanks, Vicki, for having me on here. I'm I'm so looking forward to this. Like for like last month or so. <laughs> oh, I, you know what? I, it warms my heart to hear that because I have been dying to have you on. As you know, we brought you on a victory in your head and only comes once a month. So we have to wait and we have to wait. And when you and I first had our conversation and you um, shared your story with me and agreed to come on. I was so excited because there's so much about your story that resonates with some things in my family and stuff that's gone on with me. And I know it will bring so much hope and encouragement to other people. And I'm just super excited that you trust me enough to share your story here and, um, you know, to open, open that stuff up to us. So um, I also want to thank, you know, this is a podcast. So if you guys did download this on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Blog Talk Radio, thank you so much for being here. We're really excited about it. But I do want you to at some point check out episode 17 of Vicki Fitch Live, Evictable in Your Head. You can see it on YouTube. You can see it on my website at VickiFitch.com. You'll be able to see it here on Facebook at Vicki Fitch One. And I'm sure Tamara will probably have it posted somewhere too. So uh, we want you to see it. When you get to look in her beautiful blue eyes, you will, uh, you'll just see so much love and kindness there. So I highly recommend that you do that. And then those of you guys who are here in, um, let's see who we have in our live audience right now now. We have DJ Lorena. Welcome. Stacy Lynn. Chris is here. Welcome, you guys. Do me a favor. Click on that little share button and share out the broadcast. That way we can get some other people in here because I promise you, Tamara's story is definitely going to encourage and motivate you. It's going to inspire you. And like I said, she is going to share um, a lot from her heart and she'll also share about her business. I mean, she's a very successful entrepreneur. She's got some rock star clients and she's uh, met some amazing people. So, you know, Tamara, one of the things I like to do is um, ask a question. And since you are an award-winning film director, I'd love to know, what is your all-time favorite film? You know, I love the, it's, you know, it's funny. I love the inspiring sad movies. <laughs> uh, I, I love like A Walk to Remember and Sweet November and, mm. you know, all those ones. <laughs> I always have like the sad love 
endings, but right. I don't know. They just like, they seem so real because everyone goes through, not, you know, people go through these times in their lives that are yeah. really traumatic or, you know, things that happen, I guess, probably because I had some things in my life that were very traumatic for me. Like when I see somebody else going through a, a, something that, that could be deep, you know, and then they put it on film. Like I cry every time, even if I've seen the movie like 50 times, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I know exactly what's going to happen. And then I just start bawling. Like I, I love those, those movies that strike emotion. So those are probably my two top favorites, uh, Walk to Remember and Sweet November. Well, you know, and I think that's what makes you such uh, an interesting and detailed uh, person in the film industry, right? Is that you're about storytelling. We're about connecting with an audience, connecting emotionally with them. And when you allow yourself to be vulnerable, when you allow yourself to deliver truth right at a raw level, it inspires people just like you were talking about those movies, because even though you know what's going to happen, it's still, we still feel it and we're still connected to it. And, and we also know that there's hope because, because imagine if that movie left us there, right? I always say you can bring you down in the depths, but before the end, you better bring me up to the top because if you haven't shown me any hope, I don't want to see the movie. I don't want to be around you because now I'm depressed, right? So that's what we want to do is make sure that, that people, and that's why we, we have this broadcast is that, you know, my evictably in your head, the book that's coming out, it's about people that um, that have been told that they're not good enough, strong enough, smart enough, creative enough, tall enough, pretty enough, thin enough, whatever enough. And it's just a reminder that they are to evict that bully in the head because you're, the bully came in as an itty bitty baby. We, it didn't come in as the strapping 400 pound massive you know thing that scares us. It came in as a baby and we fed it, we clothed it, we nurtured it and we allowed it to start smacking us around. And so that's why we bring this series. So people will start to recognize and start to make changes now and evict the bully before it gets so big. Right. So, um, so thank you so much for being here, Tamara. And one of the things that we do like to just remind people before we really dive into your stuff is that community is super important. Um, you know, networking and community, and we have a group called the entrepreneurial rock stars. I would love for you guys, if you're not already part of our group, join us in the rock stars. You know, you guys can uh, join us by going to vickyfitch.com slash biz, click on the button there and, um, you know, and join us. But you, I bring in a rock star of the week. There's a rock star that, um, except for the Victable in Your Head series, we allow one person from the group each month to come get a cameo appearance, tell us five minutes about their business, and it gets shared out to all the audience. So we just want to remind you, come and join us, be part of a community of people that want to give at least as much as they get. Okay. So now we're going to talk Miss Miss Tamara. This is, I, I don't know if you've seen my interview style, but I like to kind of dig around and kind of see behind the scenes of who you really are, not just what maybe other people have uncovered. So um, I appreciate you allowing me to go there. And so I'd like to know, let's just kind of start, like, where did you grow up? At, you know, what part of the country? Um, you know, did you have brothers and sisters? Just tell us a little bit about your, about your growing up. Yeah, so I... I grew up in uh, Seattle, Washington, so born and raised in Seattle. I um, came from a family, my mother and father, um, we, they were together for about 22 years. Um, my brother is seven years younger than me. Uh, he's the only sibling I have. Um, he was that, that kid that came into the, the, the life and, you know, I was his only child and I was like, Hey, me, 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 me. <laughs> and then, then he came in and then the spotlight was on him. <laughs> right. And you're like, Hey, <laughs> right. Wait. Was it right? No. <laughs> what happened? 
He was so cute, though, and that's actually kind of where my my filmmaking uh, days actually started. Was at age seven because the year my brother was born was the year that my dad bought his our first camcorder with like the big VHS tapes. Wow! So I actually he taught me how to use a camera at a young age, and so video has always been in in my life. Um, So is entrepreneurship. My mom was an entrepreneur as well, and she had her own. Victorian crafting decor business for about 12 years and she was really known in that space in Washington state uh growing up. So had the entrepreneur stuff, had the video kind of in my in my uh space. I moved down to California um not even a couple of years ago and I actually recently um just uh within the last month I just moved over to Arizona because um, my mom went through a divorce this last year and um, uh, she's dealing with some health um, issues right now. I won't go into like all the detail, but she has an intestinal disease. And so Mm. I've just been here for her. Um, She's had some, some issues and things like that. And um, so I just kind of been there for her and, and, you know, I thought, well, you know, I can work from anywhere. Our business is based in Southern California, but I've built out team members where we're able to basically work um, in different cities because we have videographers in a lot of different States now and all of our video editors work remotely. So, but yeah, I was, I was born in Washington and um, went to actually the art Institute of Seattle for filmmaking, but filmmaking actually didn't come into that as a professional side until my late twenties. I was actually in the fitness industry for about eight years before that. Wow. Now what made you go into fitness then before, you got here when you got the bug when you were seven then you did the you know you went into you know so tell us how that transition went what happened well let's see so when I went I was always like I've always been a creative I've always been an athlete and so I played basketball in college at a community college up in Edmonds Washington um Actually, when all my friends were in high school and everyone was applying for four-year colleges and getting really excited about going to, you know, University of Washington, you know, go Huskies or if they were going to be a Cougar or whatever or out of state, like, I wasn't that person. Like, I just, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told my my family, my mom always taught me about the value of the dollar. So she made my brother and I go out and get jobs at age 15 and a half. And uh, we always stuck to them and we saved our money and uh, we bought our own own first cars you know we I paid for my own schooling so I went to um, community college first and mm-hmm. got a scholarship to play basketball through that process I actually took classes on graphic design which I was good at but I didn't really enjoy it and then I shifted gears and started going to school for early childhood education because I, I was a nanny and I started working for the YMCA <laughs> and so I was working with kids for about four and a half years um, through that process and then I thought to myself well if I ever want to have kids, I probably should just stop working with them 24 <laughs> seven. <laughs> I um, love it. <laughs> the ultimate birth control, hanging around children all the time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, well, I had this like weird pattern too. So like I would, I would have a specific role for about four and a half years. And then I would just be like, I'm done with this. I want something. I want to do something else. And so mm-hmm. I, I was like, okay, shift over to another career or another type of business. So it was weird. I went from like, um, you know, I, my first job was actually scooping ice cream and cake decorating for Baskin Robbins of all places. <laughs> Me too. I <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. 
right? Like, that's right. I knew we were soul sisters. Yep, that's it. Okay. So, yeah, I did that from age like 15 and a half to 20. And but during that time, I always wanted to, I don't know what it was. I just always wanted to like stay busy. So I was like going to school. I was mm-hmm. playing basketball. I was working like three jobs, which I don't know what was wrong with me at age 20, but I just kept, I knew I just wanted to stay busy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was in yeah, the cake decorating industry. And then I went into childhood education, but I was like overlapping them. Right. So I'd go in here and then I worked in the the restaurant industry for about 10 months before I I got an ulcer where the doctor is like, you need to quit one of your jobs or quit basketball or something. So I was like, all right, I'm going to leave the restaurant, (laughs) but I'm going to stick with the YMCA and I'm going to stick with school and basketball, you know, and cake decorating just kind of drizzled out. So I stuck with the, stuck with the YMCA and then I became a nanny for a few different families growing up. Um, but it was weird. I was a nanny and then I saw this, um, position for, to work at an, uh, athletic club. And, um, so I just decided to give it a shot. I, I just was like, you know what? I don't mind working out. Let's see what I, so I went to school for uh, fitness and to get uh, training and certifications. But through that process, I just became bored. I just, Mm -hmm. I'm a creative and too. And and so, yeah, I just kind of shifted and I started making YouTube came out in 2005 and I started just making videos like the year it came out. I was like, just silly kind of like vlog like videos. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, from there, I just, for about four years, I would just keep creating videos and, um, but I literally uh, wasn't taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then my friends and family for about four years were encouraging me to just do something with it as a career. And Mm -hmm. so finally went back to school um, at age 29 to Uh get my degree in filmmaking. Okay. um, Went through that process. So yeah, it's... I see like Patricia Ann Walker in here and she's thanks for being here, Patricia. And you too, Lori. Hey, it's good to see you. Patricia says, I was like that, a, a job gypsy. I love that. I'm totally hashtagging that job gypsies. Job that is hilarious. And, but when I, I, you know, I hear that and I, I recognize some, some traits there, you know, a lot of times people that are really intelligent, they will continue to, to try and feed those needs of learning. But, you know, I imagine there was something else going on that was encouraging you to kind of maybe, um, keep doing things to things. So what, was there something underlying going on in your life that was kind of, uh, pushing you to, um, maybe whether not feeling like you were, you could be good enough at something and having to try something different or, you know, was something going on as a, a catalyst that, that made you kind of jump around in a fear of success, perhaps? You know, that's a good question, Vicki. Um, you know, I never was like, I never ever felt like anything was like holding me back or like, I didn't, I'm not one to really like, I'm not super fearful of a lot of things other than maybe like spiders and jumping Mm. out of planes. (laughs) 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 Um, But yeah, literally, yeah, (laughs) there was a joke earlier today. um, Danielle was in the other room and she was, I had hiccups, the hiccups Uh came right profusely and she was like, look at the spider. And I'm like, where? And and my hiccups like stopped and I was like, I love it. Um, Uh, Tricky friends. That was like my squirrel moment there. (laughs) I I love um, it. But yeah, so going back to that question, um, you know, there's a lot of things like, I think I just wasn't really satisfied with my life um, at at the time. Like there was a lot of things going on in my life um, personally um, that I 
uh, that I just kind of just kept hopping around, not really feeling like I had a place. Like Mm -hmm. I um, wanted to always feel like I belonged or enjoyed something. Mm -hmm. So like in the sense of just not having something, I guess I just, um, I just always felt like I was missing something, I guess, Mm -hmm. if that answers it a little bit. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think it does answer some of it. And I think that as we talk a little bit more about your story, I think we'll probably uncover even a little bit more of of where some of those things come from. You know, so you had a, a fairly good, you know, process there. I mean, you were involved in life, you were getting things done, but there was at some point that uh, a turn was made and, and some trials started and some trouble and where you started feeling, um, you know, uh, you feeling differently. So let's just kind of dive in there and, and, you know, sure. let's talk about what happened. What was that transition? What happened and where did it go? Sure. So through that process, I'll go back a little bit here. So, um, I, Growing up, um, I always felt like I was uh, different um, than a lot of people. And um, I, you know, was, I was with a lot of people. I was popular in high school. I dated all the jocks, you know, I, you know, all these things that something always felt missing. And um, in college, when I was playing basketball, I actually, um, my ability to, to love individuals, um, was different. Um, and people can agree or, or not agree with, with things that I'm going to say or not, but, um, it's your story, you don't have to worry about whether or not they agree. This is your story and we appreciate you sharing it. So growing up at a young age, I, I knew I was always different and I found myself attracted to, to male and females and not really trying to figure out what it was. And, um, it didn't really come to me till later well, because I actually was in high school. I started going to um, church on, by myself because uh, my family and I wasn't, we weren't raised in a church and I felt like there was something missing there. And so I went and I remember this time where I was like, I had this deep emotion. I was fighting my feelings um, because I started having feelings for a female and um, I, I went to church and I went to this group called 18 to 28 and uh, it was a college group for uh, young Christians to, to come together. And there was this moment where I walked in to church uh, with this gal that I met in my first year of college, community college. And she, like, there was something about her. I was like, we were just very drawn to each other. Like, we just were supporting each other and all these things. And through that process, like, I believe I, I fell in love. And so I came to this part where I was like, this is really hard. Like, I just kept praying about it. I'm like, Lord, take this away from me. Like, this is not right. You know, I don't feel like this is right. This is really hard. And so I had this moment where I just felt just this amazing amount of pressure that just like came on my shoulders. I'd never felt like anything like this before. It literally shoved me to the ground. Like I was just on the ground. I just start bawling and everybody's over me like, just like it was it was insane like I I can't even explain to you how I felt but I that that just release of pressure like from the people coming over and praying over me they're like you know God loves you God God loves you you're you're who you are you you know you repent for your sins you are who you are you know be who you are God loves you and so I was just like bawling and bawling and bawling so I just kept fighting this feeling I talked to this individual and it became to a point where um we started to become a couple and, but I hid this for a long time and I, cause I wasn't okay with it. Um, 
it really, 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 really hurt me for quite a while. And so through that process, I was like, oh my gosh, like first I didn't want to tell my mom because she's envisioning like me having this like, you know, beautiful wedding and stuff. And of course we all dream this too, right? You want to have kids and you, you're wearing a white dress and you have a husband in a suit and, or, you know, a tux and all these things. And I just kept saying to myself, I'm like, I don't see it. I don't see it. <laughs> I was like, what do I see? <laughs> I see uh, you know, myself in a white dress and somebody else in a white dress. Like that was what I saw. But I kept fighting it for years and um, I couldn't, I couldn't come to terms with it. So when I was about 23 and a half years old, um, my first love who was a woman dumped me and I was in the fitness industry at this point and I didn't have anyone to go to, didn't have anyone to share anything to, with because I couldn't tell anybody. I tried to tell some people in high school and they automatically thought that I had a crush on them. I was like, do you have a crush on everybody that, that you, that you see? Like, it's not like that. You know, you, you, you fall for who you fall for. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was just really hard. Cause then all of a sudden I didn't have friends, right? <laughs> like they're That's just alone. letting really me go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're very alone. And so from there, um, I started going out to the, I hadn't really been a partier in my life. I you know didn't do drugs. I didn't drink. And I, just turned to going out to um, LGBT um, bars, basically. And I started drinking. And that's where I felt like I could just, you know, connect with people. I thought people that were like me, I could talk to them about my feelings. Um, I had actually um, started talking to um, 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 a counselor as well uh, because I started having anxiety attacks at work and the the fitness um, the club I was working with actually the doctor was like I'm gonna have you go go see this on on the club's expense like go talk to this gal I'm gonna give you four free sessions and so the doctor at the club I was just like well thank you you know so I had somebody to talk to mm -hmm. um, but through that process after I was dumped and I started just kind of spiraling out of control, I started drinking and I started drinking and driving. Um, the day after I was dumped though, uh, I went for a run, um, because it was my release to actually, you know, try to get this anger out. But as I was running, um, uh, I ran over a crosswalk and a guy failed to stop at the stop sign. He plowed into me in his, his white pickup truck and nailed me back to the sidewalk where I w fell backwards and I hit my head um, where I had a really bad, severe concussion. I was knocked out for 27 hours, basically left for dead. Um, I woke up in the hospital the next day, um, not realizing all the things that had just happened. Um, and the, my first thought of waking up was, where's Heidi? She was the person that I loved and she wouldn't even come to see me. And she'd been a part of my life for quite a while. And, um, I didn't feel like I had anyone to talk to. And then all these things were going on. Like as people were asking us, why aren't you guys friends anymore? Why are you guys friends anymore? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, just couldn't get it out. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't come out. And so it took me another couple years. Um, and I really started smiling, spiraling into drinking. I was drinking and it was literally like, cheers, you know, where everyone knew your name, like, hey, Cliff, hey, Norm, hey, Tamara, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like that was the joke I always told, 
but it was very true. I was literally at the bar probably five days a week and I was drinking and driving like crazy, like just very irresponsible. Luckily, I never hurt anybody um, through like any accidents or anything like that. Um, there's a lot of stories that, that go on with within all my years of drinking. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I remember this one time, I just, I just kept feeling like I need to, to get this out. I need to get this off my chest. So I, my uncle, not my uncle, my cousin, Mark, he came in from California and I had seen him for like 10 years. He came into Seattle. I was actually living with my mom at this point because I had basically been pulled over, um, back to back three times within like a month, uh, mm. for drinking and driving. So the first offense, I actually was pulled over. I was going 102 miles per hour over the Interstate, uh, Interstate wow. um, 90 bridge. And I had open containers all over the back of my car. Um, the officer didn't see the containers. Let me go. <laughs> that should have wow. just been like my, that was like my slap on the face. Like that should have been my wake up call, right? Mm. Exactly a week from that date, I got pulled over in the exact same spot, a different state patrolman where I didn't get away with it this time. And he literally, like, he literally drove me from the jail. Instead of having my mom come pick me up at the jail, he's like, I want to talk to your mom. Like, I want to talk to her. I'm worried about you. Mm -hmm. So this officer was amazing. He drove me out to Issaquah, Washington, where I was living with my mother. And he's, he said, he goes, my mom's name's Lori. He said, Lori, do you know what a seasoned alcoholic is? Mm -hmm. And she's like, no, she, he was like this, your daughter is what we call a seasoned alcoholic. She can consume loads of amount of alcohol. She can be completely functionable, have a normal conversation with me, uh, pass all the field sobriety tests at a point, you know, 0.18, you know, you know, you're a double, double the legal limit. And he's like, that's, that's scary for somebody that's 24 years old. That's very scary. And so, um, I went through that process and then I, I was so scared of that moment that I didn't drink for, for two weeks, but I had this place that I went on Sunday nights and Sunday nights was dollar pitcher nights. I mean, the whole pitcher of beer for a dollar. Wow. gosh. So you can imagine how many pictures of beer I would share with people I called, called my friends at the time. Right. And so two weeks later, I went to a friend's um, bachelorette party and I was like, I'm not going to drink, not going to drink, didn't drink. And then all of a sudden I have all my, my uh, friends texting me to come out to this bar mm. and they're like, come on, come on. It's Sunday. Just come out for a little bit. And what was crazy is we all go out 4 PM and we all leave by like 9 PM. <laughs> Which is insane. Like most people go to the bars late, right? But I associate right. it like earlier in the evening on a Sunday night. We're like, oh well, we can go out early, get done early, and be at work at six thirty in the morning on Monday morning. That's right. great. Right. So, so I went through that process, and two weeks later, got pulled over again. This time was not so nice of an officer, and I had gotten sick all over myself down the side of my car. Was very embarrassed. Um, and so I had gotten a second DUI being pulled over three times in three weeks, basically. And that, that started continuously going. Um, I thought I was doing better at times. And uh, when I was 27 years old, I got pulled over again. Um, and um, 
it just, I kept going down that path. So I was going in treatment. I was lying. I was going to AA meetings. I was, you know, but not enjoying it. I was like there to get my slip signed. I got a sponsor because they told me to. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I, that's okay. Um, I want to say hello to a few people really quick. Um, Adam Nally, Dr. Adam Nally's in the house, uh, Doc Muscles. Patricia said her transgender son went through the same thing you were going through and you're in her hearts and prayers. And she also says, you know, that's self-medicating, which I'm sure that you're completely aware of, but it's really good for people that are maybe just starting to experience this either in their own life or someone else's life to identify what it is. Um, Lori Campbell's in the house. Denise Smith is here. Um, Oh, Lori's your mom. Oh, well, Lori, thanks for being here. You have such a, an amazing daughter. I'm super excited that she's here today and, and, um, you know, that she's sharing that story. So, uh, and you guys do me a favor. If you haven't already shared the, share this broadcast out, I'm sure you can see that, uh, you can even hear it in her voice that Tamara is really burying her heart and her soul to you. She's being really transparent because she wants to encourage and inspire you. So those of you who've downloaded this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or blog talk, again, I do encourage you to watch the live episode. Um, just watching Tamara's reactions will help you connect with her. And if you're experiencing some of these things with a, a family member or yourself, get help, you know, and we're going to talk more about it. Get a support group and find people that really do care because it's that loneliness. It's the, the, you know, feeling lost and alone. Like you don't have anybody to talk to and, and pretending that you're somebody that you're not, that starts to uh, create an isolated effect. And, and, um, you know, you can see how that works. And, and Marsha Hersher, uh, Shorn, I can't get it right, Marsha. I'm never, I'm Marsha H is in the house. Thanks girlfriend. <laughs> um, but, as, you know, as we go back here, you know, Tamara, was there any, was there any alcoholism or at all in your family or is it just the direction you took? You know, a lot of times society tweaks and turns and suggests because our friends, you know, say uh, different things too. And, um, you know, what, was there any alcoholism in your family? Was there any indication towards that or, you know, was it just social? That's where it started. You know, I didn't see you know, alcoholism in my family growing up, it wasn't something that was, um, in front of me. Um, it was just something I picked up along the way. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure about my, my bloodline in the past. I don't, I don't know a lot of that information on mm -hmm. that part of it. Um, but, um, it's definitely something I just, I don't put myself around anymore really sure. much. Um, right. I just, I disassociated myself with, um, I mean, it's fine that people drink and that's sure. fine, but I've, I've disassociated myself with going out late. I don't go on the roads. I, you know, go to when I'm at events and networking parties and stuff like mm -hmm. that. I call it an early night. Usually I go out for the first part and then mm -hmm. I'm, cause I'm not the one to be around crowds that are, um, drinking, just drinking he heavily, basically, mm -hmm. you know, it's okay sure. to be around people with uh, a drink or two and that can sure. control there because sure. not not everyone's an alcoholic <laughs> sure absolutely but I mean that absolutely true and and um, you know I came from uh, an alcoholic family my dad was an alcoholic I actually married an alcoholic drug addict my brother is an alcoholic drug addict my sister is an alcoholic drug addict so in my family I think one of the reasons that I didn't continue doing any drinking was watching the how it destroyed you know the family inside and so um you know I I feel sorry that you were alone, you know, and, and that pain that you felt. And I know just like 
with other people that experience different things, it made you who you are today, which is an exceptional lady. So, you know, we aren't going to dwell there, but we do want you guys to, to continue to understand who uh, Tamara is and, and, you know, the things that she went through. So Tamara, you, you know, you shared this part. Okay. Here, you know, that's embarrassing. Three, you know, three DUIs or being pulled over for being drunk three times in three weeks. And then it there was a, another gap there went before you were there pulled over. Yeah, so there was a there was a three year gap, um, and what was crazy was I had just gotten into the fitness school that I wanted to go to, and of course, what what about all the people in my work? They're like, let's go out and celebrate. Oh, <laughs> not mm -hmm. good idea. Um, went out and celebrated. That was the night I got pulled over again, which I got a third. DUI, but with that particular charge, uh, my attorney kept saying I was like the miracle like client he had because all these things just kept happening for me like on my side because that particular case, the cop was um, charged for fraudulent claims and was fired from the force. So anyone that was coming through that time, like, which was really scary because at the same time I was like, oh my gosh, I could go to jail for at least 90 days to a year. Mm -hmm. when I came in there, but all these things were in my favor that day and it, it was released. So that whole case was dropped. And mm -hmm. my, one of my first cases I was, I pledged as a deferred, which you're able to do for one, basically as if it's, if it was reckless driving. So technically out of those three, I only had one DUI on my record. Gotcha. Fast forward three years to my 30th birthday. Um, that year, within those four months, a lot of things were going on. I had actually, that's when I had started going back to film school the year before that. And um, I had a lot of just bad things going on. And I was very depressed and um, was still just kind of trying to figure out where what I wanted to do. I was in film school. I knew I wanted to do video, but I just didn't know where my life was going. And so there was a point five days before Christmas in 2010 um, I went to go meet this this girl that I thought was interested in me at the time, but uh, we ended up going out, and then I realized she was bringing me along to be like a scout for <laughs> other people. I was like, all right, this is not date, I guess. So <laughs> you you were brought on as a wingman, <laughs> I guess. So I was like, okay, well, this is not how I was envisioning it, but oh my okay. gosh. And I was just having a really hard time too because I hit thirty years old and I hadn't really found anybody that I was like. I love my life. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so that, that gets in your head too, thinking to yourself, am I ever going to find the right one? Because it's already hard, you know, being, you know, a lesbian and then trying to find somebody and then I'm really picky at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I always thought to myself, if I'm a girl and I like a girl, I'm going to like a girl that looks like a girl. So that, that's, I was attracted more to feminine women than I was to like butch and, you know, everybody has their own style of person that they're attracted to. Yeah. So it was really hard for me to find somebody that I, I really liked, but it was funny for me being more feminine. I was more sporty. Um, but a lot of the girls that, that, that I liked that were, um, feminine, they always like, the, the butch girls. And I was always trying to figure that out. And I was like, I just don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> but, you know, teach their own, you know, like everybody has their, their own choice. And so through that process, though, I went out and I, I uh, left that non-date and <laughs> started to drive back. And the thing is about me, though, whenever I drank and drove, I sped. And all the officers were always saying how I was always different than everybody else that they pulled over because on the norm, the high percentage of drunk drivers would drive slowly trying to 
keep in like paying attention where I would just get in the car and I'm just like, yeah, (laughs) boom. So here I am going 102 miles an hour again, woo woo, you know? And then I think to myself, oh my gosh, like this time, like as soon as I got pulled over, I was pulled over right on my exit to my house, Mm. like Mm. right there. I was like, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Mm -hmm. Um, I talked to the officer. I'm like, this is just not, this is not good. This is not good. And then freaking out the, you know, I get, get pulled into the judge into the jail that next morning. They're like, I'm sorry, Miss Thompson. We're not going to let you go. You are a menace to society. You are a threat to people on the road. Mm. And they're like, we're putting $25,000 bail on you and we're not letting you go. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to, you know, I'm already a disgrace. I feel like to my family, I'm already shamed my mom at this point. She's married to another man other than my father. Um, who was an alcoholic as he was an alcoholic as well. So I was around that at that point Mm -hmm. um, through that experience, which was my mom was dealing with a lot at that time as well with him. So Mm -hmm. it was just like, Oh my gosh, you have this alcoholic daughter, you have this alcoholic husband. So I'm like, ah, but mm-hmm. he was, he was actually nice enough to, to bail me out. He put his car up on a, a bail bond and mm-hmm. I was very appreciative of him doing that for me. Uh, we weren't super close, but he ended up getting me out so that I could keep my job. Um, that time though, I like got out of jail and the look on my family's face was just like, I just was like, Oh, I just, my heart sunk. And I just knew, I was like, if I don't do something now, like, again, I'm going to hurt myself or somebody else. And I knew I was going to jail. Like I knew I was going to jail. Mm -hmm. And so I went through the processes and for the first time ever though, going through the process, my attorney asked me if I wanted to talk to the judge because they, they usually recommend you just being quiet and they go through this process. I said, no, I want to talk to him. <laughs> I want to say that I'm an alcoholic. I want to say that I have a problem. I'm mm-hmm. so sorry. Like just, I would just went out and I, and at that point I had, was getting like straight A's in, in school, at college, went back to film school, I was trying to better my life. I was in treatment. Um, and this time I actually went back to the treatment center and, and the, the counselor recommended me to read the four agreements um, by, what was it, Don Miguel Ruiz, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so after I read that book, and I'm not much of a reader, but I did read that book and I just started living by those four agreements. Um, and I just kept okay, I'm like, okay, these are very simple agreements. Just be impeccable with your word. Always do your best. Don't make assumptions. You know, don't take things personally. Like just mm-hmm. kept putting those in my head got my, my first sponsor where I actually took it seriously. She was my sponsor for the first three years of sobriety. And, um, I, yeah, I went to jail, but what was crazy about it was I am a go-getter from in my life anyways. And so this is my first point where I was like going after something I wanted and the system where I was pulled over, they didn't have work release but there were other sections in Washington state that offered a work release program. And I like literally was, I was like, I asked my attorney, I'm like, well, let's just ask. I was like, I'll, I'll do whatever. Like see if I can keep that so I can keep my job. I was a part-time nanny three days a week. I was going to school. I was like, let's just ask. I was like, all I can do is ask. He's like, well, nobody's ever done this in this court system ever. And I said, I'm going to try. I'm going to do it. We're going to do it. And so the guy's like, the judge is going through my stuff and he says, um, I, I said that my attorney said, there's a, 
uh, jail system that's about 40 minutes from here. Ms. Thompson would like to know if you'd be okay with her doing work release. Here's you know a copy of her transcripts right now. She's gone back to school. These are her AA slips. She's compliant in treatment. Um, would you be okay with her spending uh, 90 days in jail, but on the sense of being able to be released for work? And so the judge was just looking down and just kind of shuffling around. He's like, I've never had anyone approach me for this, Miss Thompson, <laughs> or try. And he's like, if you cover the cost of this expense and you stay within the terms that is here, I'm going to allow this for the first time ever in this system. Mm. And so I always tell people like that was where I turned into this Tamara where I'm not afraid to ask. Right. <laughs> like, right. And I'm, I'm still like that. Mm -hmm. And so that just gave me like this opening thought, like, wow, you know, like this is insane. Like I just asked for something that nobody's ever done throughout the system here. Mm -hmm. And they allowed it. And I went through that program mm -hmm. and I went to jail for 90 days and I, they let me out three days a week to go to work to keep that, that job. Um, I did take a quarter off for, from school though. And I did go back. But from that point, they put me under house arrest. So I felt like I was Lindsay Lohan running out around with an ankle bracelet for about four months. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I went through that. And then I had a device in my home where it went off every morning at 6 a.m. and 8 p.m. And I had to be home and, you know, I had to make sure I was compliant. And then I had a interlock device in my car for five years, like five years. I just recently got that thing off my car. Mm. Um, and a lot of people didn't know that. And then people that got in my car, they'd be like, what's this? And then I have to tell them my story. Well, tell but them what an interlock <laughs> device is. A lot of people, again, those of you guys have, who are you here on the podcast, thank you so much for being here. This is Tamara Thompson. Uh, this is episode 17 of Vicki Fitch Live, A Fresh Perspective. And Tamara is sharing uh, her trials and tragedy right now and how she turned them into triumph. And thank you guys for being here. I know Melanie Weiser's in the house. Um, Marsha is here. Uh, Patricia you know, was, was talking about, you know, family members and their addictive personalities and stuff. And you guys, please share out the broadcast if you're here. Um, I'm sure you guys are getting some value. I'd love for you to put a one in the chat box if you're getting some value out of Tamara um, and what she's got to say. Because I know I've learned a lot of stuff about her that I didn't know uh, as well. I learned a little piece of her story. But when we, we add depth, when we add the layers of who we really are and people get to know us, that's this is this is where our character is formed this is how um you know as she's saying she learned to ask you know she learned to be afraid she learned when she could get away with things she learned that she was different she learned there's so many things that have come to this place where she is right now and have, have created the Tamara that we know now so um you know Tamara, you've, you've just shared so much with them, you know, and, and recognizing what's going on that you're, you've become a trailblazer now, even though you are, you know, you're in jail and, and you're doing all these things. And now you talked about a device in your car, which you're going to share what that is so people can kind of catch up and understand. Sure. Yeah. So, um, we're coming through the light here. <laughs> so I had an interlock de device, um, which they attach it to your um, ignition of your vehicle and you have to blow in it to start your vehicle. And then it goes off again within the first four minutes. So if people think they're smarter than the law and they can have someone start their car and then drive drunk, then they're, they're very wrong <laughs> because if, if you try to outsmart the law, you, you can't. <laughs> um, but so you, you basically have to blow in this device um, very, um, every so often. And it, um, 
for mine, it was like every like four minutes, then every 20 minutes. Um, and just, you had to blow in it. And if for some reason you missed a blow, then if you turn your car off without blowing in it, then your report's going back to your probation officer. Oh, that was another thing. I had like three of those over the years, uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they, I learned something from all of them. So it was, it was good though. They were hard on me, but they also believed in me and that was always awesome. But yeah, so I had this device and I had to have it on my car and I recently got it off, which is crazy because I didn't have one on my car for about a year and a half because I decided to take the bus everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I had thought that if I just didn't have it, that that would just go in a time frame of five years. Mm-hmm. But then years later, I realized they were like, no, you have to have it on your car, period, for that. So I was like, great. So I'm over six and a half years sober, but I still have an interlock <laughs> on my car. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. So yeah, it's just, it, and now the law is very strict in most states. Um, Washington is in the top, like, too, probably. Um, California is really striking down. I know Arizona is striking down. I think a lot of them are. And I, I think it's important because a lot of people drink and drive and they don't really realize, like, they think it might, like, just one drink, you know, as long as you wait like an hour or whatever, drink water, you know, it's supposed to bring your, your alcohol content level down. But at the same time, you're always impaired at some point, like by having that, you know, just be aware of your surroundings or if you can take an Uber or Lyft or a taxi or have a friend pick you up. If you know you're in that spot, just, just don't drive. (laughs) If you know you can get to your car in the morning, just don't drive (laughs) because I've learned a lot (laughs) through that. Well, I told my, my son just turned 21, right? And (laughs) right. I know. Right. And so we're not, we're, Terry and I really don't drink. So, I mean, you know, it was not, my son's like, well, I'm going to have a drink on my birthday. And I was like, well, that's fine. You can have a drink, but recognize that ever, if you ever have, I always just tell him, if you've ever had alcohol touch your lips, then just don't drive. Just make that a rule. It's Uber is too easy. Calling us, calling somebody, just make that a rule. If alcohol touches your lips that you don't drive, because you know, Tamara, alcohol makes you stupid, right? You think, oh, I'm all right. Ah, I can have another one. You know, I have this tolerance or whatever. I'm not really buzzed. I'm not really drunk. You don't, you don't know, you know, and, and you get stupid. You make stupid choices. And so that's why that's, that's what I used as a, a guideline. It just, it's simple, right? <laughs> if it touches your lips, don't drive. And then at least that's a preventative uh, conce- concept. No, it's true. I, I think when, when I finally made the decision to become sober, like in the beginning, it was like, scared into sobriety and then from that point um it was it got easier like Mm -hmm. it was weird because I actually had smoked cigarettes um on and off for 10 years as well in between that and it kind of came hand in hand with drinking and um I remember when I um that night was the last night I smoked a cigarette too Mm -hmm. because I knew if I like had them you know go to hand in hand you know it was like I don't know. I just, I knew if I trigger one, it would Mm -hmm. be a trigger. And so I just decided at that moment just to, to cut that out as well. And I had a harder time quitting the cigarettes than I did Mm -hmm. the alcohol, which was really weird for me. I I would call people back Mm -hmm. when we could actually talk on the cell phones in the car (laughs) Um, uh, when I was driving because I cigarettes were like hand in hand with me driving. Mm -hmm. And so 
it was crazy. But people asked me how I did that cold turkey. And I was like, I just had faith in myself that that I could get through this because I'd been through so much. I mean, I won't even go into all the details, but like there was moments in jail where I had women in my face. There were people coming in off of meth. There was a gal that came in that was super, most probably the most scariest experience that I've ever had where a gal came in from, she, they, she was found in a parking lot and she had just been released from an insane asylum in Washington state. Wow. And I ended up standing up for a girl um, in the the jail cell, and I was sitting down on this like they had these picnic like benches in there, and the way the only way I could keep myself sane was to act tough and do wall sits and squats across the room and tricep dips off this picnic like thing. So they thought that I was this tough girl because I was in the best shape of my life, and that's when I was a personal trainer too. <laughs> gotcha. And so, um, yeah, I was I was. I just remember this moment though, she came in and she was shorter than me, but you could tell there was something not mentally stable there. And I had my glasses on, I was wearing glasses. And the only thing I could think of at that moment was, oh my gosh, she's going to punch me in the face and I am going to get my glasses shattered in my eye right now. Like that's Mm -hmm. all I could think of. And I was like, I kept really calm and she like got up in my face and she just threatened me and they're like yelling for the guards and like things like that like things that I t- went through like there was a lot of other things that went on in there too but um the the experience is there I was like I never want to go through this stuff again like I don't yeah. want to go through it again I know there's so many other people Oops. that had like is worse- everybody frozen or just <laughs> is it me or everyone um... I see myself <laughs> I don't know. Can you guys hear me? Can you guys put a one in the chat box if you can hear me? Because I don't know. I see myself. If it's them. <laughs> it's you. <laughs> can everybody still hear me? <laughs> Vicky's frozen. Well, I'll just keep talking. <laughs> so, so yeah, I uh, went through all these experiences and, um, it was just insane, like all the things that, that I went through to get to where I am today, though. But after I got through being, uh, became sober, I, um, I think they, they said they could still hear me or was it you they were talking about? Can you guys? I think they can hear me. See, yeah. I was gone. I was froze. You guys were all frozen. I was alone. And then you I, were, you're the only one frozen to me. <laughs> I, you guys were all frozen and I was alone. And then now, and then they're saying I was frozen. Okay. So I'm back. So hi. Hi guys. Hello, <laughs> Hello again. I'm free. Well, you know, we really like to mesmerize our guests and we lull them into a false sense of security. And then, <laughs> um, so, you know, when I lost you, uh, Tamara, you were talking about the girl that was getting up in your face and you're afraid of the glasses <laughs> and you were in this really great shape. So I don't know where it went out. I was just sitting here for a while going, okay, is it me? Cause I just, I, I think it was myself, you, but you guys were all frozen. So yeah. Yeah. Well recap real quick. I went through all these experiences similar to that there, but knowing that I just never wanted to go through those types of things again. So I told myself, I'm like, as soon as I get out of jail, I never want to put myself in these situations again. And so I continuously went on through the years to do AA and had sponsorship and stuff like that. And um, I ended up finishing um, my degree in filmmaking uh, after I I sobered up, a couple of years after I, I sobered up. And through that process, I actually uh, ended up going into getting a job uh, as a video production manager for an online educational 
platform for physical therapists and chiropractors, which is now one of the most leading companies in Seattle, Washington for what they do. And I started when there was only about eight of them. And now they have, I think, 85 employees. Wow. And um, yeah, I... um, my life basically shifted. I I took away all of the people that were in my life. I just Mm -hmm. started kind of separating myself from people who were considered my friends. And I realized who my real friends were and weren't, Mm -hmm. uh, who were more like social butterflies, drinking buddies and things like that. Sure. And um, I had lost some people throughout the years too. Um, People that actually went through similar situations that had a couple of close friends that actually committed suicide. And one of them was actually two weeks ago, which was really hard on me. <laughs> like, and I don't think people really, the people that know me now, like, they don't know how much it actually hit me because this friend of mine, Carly, that, that took her life on August 19th, she, um, she went through the same thing I did right after I did, like during the same process. She got three DUIs. She actually hired my attorney. She was going to AA. And um, I know it was crazy. I, and I, I can't blame myself for anything. But about a month ago, I remember seeing a Facebook post of her saying something. And I, I believe I was traveling and it's not an excuse but I remember seeing something where it's like, at least I have my AA friends. Like, and then I went back and I looked and people were saying on her post, like, I'm worried about you. Call me, things like that. And in my head, I thought that I responded or posted something or commented. And I realized I didn't. And then getting that news from all these people in my past, all of a sudden my Facebook messenger was just like popping up with all these names and these flashbacks were going back into my drinking days. And it was really sad. Like I just knowing that there's people out there that, that, that don't, that don't make it through these hard times. Like just know that, that you can get through it. And there's people that do and just always ask for help. If you're having trouble with something like call someone, cause you always have support systems around you. Um, I just have been such a like go getter in so many different ways that sometimes I, I didn't ask for help. And sometimes I still don't ask for help because there's that moments where I'm like, I can do it myself. But when I started building a business, I started to having to ask for help and I had to start delegating and building relationships and having a support system. So that's actually helped me through the years of building business too. the sense of like, I had to learn how to accept help. Um, by asking to. Well, so. and help is not easy. And I'm so sorry, Tamara, that, that, you know, that happened to you. Patricia was saying that you're blessed to be able to tell your story. Thank you for sharing. It's nice to see people can make it. My son died by suicide also. So, I'm you know, sorry. Patricia, I'm so sorry that happened. Sorry. And, and as we look at, um, you know, we look at challenges in life, we see how it affects people differently. Sometimes we choose to self-medicate. Sometimes we choose to, um, you know, get involved in other destructive behavior that isn't healthy or helpful, whether it's relationships, um, whether it's treating people poorly, whether it's playing cat and mouse games where we pull people in and then push them away, the push pulls, you know, it's, it's all, they're all a, a cry for help. It's all, you know, loneliness or frustration and not being able to deal with things. And, and, you know, 
trying to, so today's broadcast, we're bringing attention obviously to alcoholism, you know, which, which goes hand in hand often with drug addiction and, and even sex addiction and even, you know, you know, gambling and, and suicide. And so we have to start being aware. And, and Tamara, I know that you know this, but I, I'm going to say it anyway, you know, it wasn't your fault. And I know that, you know, you had nothing to do with it. It has, it's not, has nothing to do with your schedule. You know, it wasn't you you and you're not having enough time or effort, you know, we, we have to be able to allow people to reach out. We can only, you know, I mean, we can't put our feelers out to the entire world. You know, we, we just can't, but, but if they will come to us and I have not known you for very long, but you have always been extremely open. I, I have no doubt in my mind if she reached out that you would have dropped things and been there. So you have to, remember that's who you are that is who you are if someone re- i i don't know you that well if i reached out i know you would be there i just know that because i can see the person that you are the personality that you have and the kindness and caring you have in your heart for other people so hold on to that and and remember that it's got nothing to do with you and you know just just hold that because it's, it is painful and it's and it's you know when we hurt and when we feel guilt, you know, as, as you know, we talked earlier about, uh, you know, being a Christian, you know, Satan's the author of confusion, right? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And we all get confused about things, but, you know, knowing that you're there, knowing that you'll be there, that's what's important. So you guys that, you know, you've tuned in here, you've gotten to hear Tamara's, you know, story. I mean, we, we've only cut, touched the surface, but remember our goal is to show you somebody who's been through the trial, the tragedy and turns it into triumph. So, you know, we're going to, um, you know, talk about, we're going to transition our conversation into her, her business, her live streaming, her, her filmmaking, the things where she put her time and attention. And now she has created something wonderful. And as you guys know, I uh, live stream every day and I am a big proponent of it. I, uh, I adore watching other people's live stream and films. As a matter of fact, I checked out, I, I kind of did Facebook stalking and website stalking of Tamara today, watching some of the video clips and stuff like that. Um, and I'm a, I'm a proponent of, of live streaming. One of our sponsors, Archon Mounts, as you guys know, you have to have the right gear. And Archon, if you guys go to archon.com, you guys can get the gear I use. I use the TW Broadcaster for my dual streaming, uh, what I went on for the pre-show. And that big one you see there, the RVTR IXL, for those of you watching the live broadcast, that I carry in my purse every day. I always have it. So when uh, something comes up and I'm at lunch or something that I want to, to record that I don't have a wobbly hand and wiggling all around. So go to archon.com. You can use the code Fitch slap, which is part of my other podcast. He said, red said uh, F I T C H S L A P and you can save 20%. So I highly recommend if you guys are going to be doing live streaming or you're going to be doing videotaping that you have the right equipment to keep yourself steady and sturdy. So, um, you know, uh, on that note, we're going to, you know, transition. Like I said, we might weave in a couple other uh, questions. If you guys have questions too, please put them in the chat box. Uh, Tamara has, you know, like I said, she's opened up and said she'll be happy to share with you. If you guys are finding struggles or challenges um, or know someone else that's going through things at the end, we're going to talk about maybe some 
um, you know, recommendations or advice that Tamara might have for somebody that's going through it themselves or someone that's going through, um, you know, as a family member uh, and how, you know, what kind of recommendations she has. But we'll kind of start moving you guys through and talk about, you know, video production. We know how you got started in this field. Like, you know, you told us about your seven-year-old, uh, the seven-year-old part of you that started, you know, videoing with your dad and then going to film school. You know, it, what is it that you think took the four-year itch away from you and actually had you settle in one area, which was into filmmaking? Yeah, so um, I, guess, I guess it was more like finally like having my family and friends just say like, I think probably because I was probably complaining about not being happy. <laughs> and then just like, okay, Tamara, just, just shut up and just go do something you like. And they're like, we see you creating these videos. Like I had just a little, you know, Canon camera that recorded video at the time. Um, and so in 2005, I would just do silly videos on YouTube. And then I actually built a channel that had over 800,000 views at the time, but I, I ended up deleting it. <laughs> and people were like, what? Why Say, what? <laughs> well, at the time it seemed like a good idea. And I'm like, why did I do that? Like, I was like, people just need to see my personality or something because in the sense of wanting to go in the, the side of being a film director, like I wanted people to take my serious, take me seriously. And that's where serious take productions came into play. Gotcha. So that's where the name came from. I wanted people to take me seriously. I wanted people to know that, um, you know, that, that we worked on specific types of products. So I started just creating different films. So what my first films actually had to do with, um, the LGBT community, because I was trying to help myself, uh, come out more. And so my fil first film was called the L code and basically interviewing, um, about over 20 something women because I wanted people to understand that there's so many different stereotypes that go along in, you know, between different genders as well as sexuality. And so going in and showcasing, you know, women that, you know, were, you know, baseball caps and were boyish, but they love to get pedicures and manicures versus, you know, a very feminine woman that was all into politics, but very dominant and masculine in different ways. Like just showing that there's different types of people in, in the world and, and that, that people are very much stereotype that particular, I mean, people in general, people stereotype, doesn't matter sure. if you're, you're gay or straight. So I went into creating these documentary films and it was so funny because when I was little, I was like, I don't like documentaries. They're so boring. <laughs> like that's what right. I associated with them. Right. And then when I went out and I was, like, I was like, Oh, I can create my own. And so I started telling stories and then I started hearing the women's stories in this film. I was like, Oh, I love this. And then within a few years, you know, they started like talking about, you know, uh, equalization with, with marriage and stuff like that. So I went out to the night that it was legalized for, um, marriage for same sex couples in Washington state that night, I was like, let's just go out and let's just interview people. Like, let's just get their stories. And so I got all these emotions and, and things on camera. And I was like, I'm going to create a documentary. And, you know, I started releasing things and my stereotype, um, documentary film ended up being sold out in, in Seattle and they ended up putting it in two different theaters because they're like, it's being so requested so much. And so these people all of a sudden became, I became known as this female director in Seattle um, for, for that purpose. But as I was going on with my life, I was like, well, I don't want to be just known for that. 
you know? Mm -hmm. So I started going into entrepreneurship as well. And so one of my uh, next films inspired by 11. So my third film was inspired by 11, where I went out and interviewed 11 top entrepreneurs from around the world. And this was basically after I started, um, this is after I finished film school. And this was after I was actually doing production roles for corporate companies. So during this time, I w told you I was a corporate uh, production manager for that online educational platform. After that position, I moved into a role where I was a producer for another company where I ran the Starbucks and Microsoft accounts, um, which was very stressful. And through that process, I was also starting series take productions on the side and what I was doing was working overtime basically full-time with this position and running my own business where I had I started getting large clients like Gabriel Cosmetics and Safeway I started working with YouTubers where we started producing videos in Whole Foods mm -hmm. and I was like I love the creative side like I was able to get my vision out there mm -hmm. and so when I started doing this I was like I saw these things happening with the production company that I was working with and the team. Like everybody was amazing. I loved working with everyone there. The only thing was, is everyone was awesome in the office, but whenever we got on set, there was a specific person that would just make everything really high, strong and stressful. And it just didn't need to happen. And it was mm. happening over and over and over for months. Mm. And I couldn't get it through to, to them that this isn't the way a culture should be for a workplace. It shouldn't be like this. And so mm -hmm. I told myself, I want to create an environment where people are able to come together. They do what they love. They're positive players. They're team players. Mm -hmm. And they have really great work ethic. And mm -hmm. they work hard. Like they, and they're passionate about what they do. And so as I was doing this, I, I told myself, I'm going to put together this proposal for one of my clients, a year-long proposal. And I said, that's going to be more money than what I make right now at this production company. And if the, when they say yes... I'm going to let go of this and I'm not going to look back. Mm. And so I, I did that and mm. I put this together and I worked with this company for a year. We're still good friends. I, I don't currently work with them with what we do, but at that time I was doing uh, videos as well as social media management, which I mm. stepped away from social media management, but allowed me to step out and work with small business owners. Mm -hmm. And that's where Serious Take Productions started and I never looked back and I'm just very much go, 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 fall my fall flat on my face, <laughs> get back up, go, go, cry, <laughs> go again. <laughs> like it was just so hard, like in the beginning, trying to figure out value of structure going from a freelance view to sure. a business owner to a CEO, knowing that I need to raise prices and mm -hmm. build a team and delegate and all these things. And so I really just started building. And it was just like this whole process. But through that process, when I started um, doing this after the first year, um, I started watching Shark Tank. Mm -hmm. And so, and The Prophet. And you, you and right? I both know yeah. <laughs> I, like, my dream came true. <laughs> yeah. We're going to talk about that too. For so sure. just keep that in mind. So Marcus Limonis was somebody that I've been following since basically second season when he came out and not many people knew about him yet, but now he, he's well known now. So this was a few, over a few years ago. And Lori Grenier is another person that I really admire. And I just, yeah, we'll talk more about that too. But so I was in this space. But before that, I had created a web series called Artist Encore. Like you said in my intro that I worked with artists from American Idol and The Voice. And through that process, I created a web series and I got a small sponsorship and I went out on my own across the country with another videographer and editor. And we put together this series 
to interview people that were on these shows to see what their lives were up to now after the show. Mm-hmm. And so that was a lot of fun. I did it all by myself, but it wasn't anything to generate profit or anything. <laughs> Just go out and do it. It was and, an experience uh, though. It gave you some experience. Some valuable it did. Experience. And some of them ended up hiring us to do vi- music videos after, which was, was, which was nice. Um, not anything like high budget or anything at the right. time. That was right. an experience that I had to learn. Like when I was working with starving artists that didn't have money, I was like, I should probably shift over when I started watching Shark Tank. I was like, I got to work with entrepreneurs. <laughs> right. We got to find, let's see, I got to find the cash in here because otherwise I'm not going to be able to eat. <laughs> exactly. So that's where the shift came in. Um, started really focusing on that, connecting with other entrepreneurs, ended up going to entrepreneurial events, started getting motivated, learned more about like the shift in mindset and everything like that. And it was all things that I was already implementing with my business, but just didn't know how to put the pieces together. You know, like I hadn't Mm -hmm. been taught to do the marketing or I had been doing marketing and PR with this company. I was doing their social media and video for, I was like doing all of it. I was just like, but I'm a natural connector. And so I actually used Twitter to start reaching out to entrepreneurs and started getting people's attention for things. And I started to ask if people wanted to be a part of a documentary because at that point, not a ton of entrepreneurial documentaries had, had come out. Mm-hmm. You know, we have The Secret, we have, you know, some of these other ones that, that came out through the, the, the process, but there aren't a ton, you know? Right, right. And so, yeah, I started connecting with people like John Lee Dumas and Pat Flynn and Michael Parrish Judell, who's the author of the Shark Tank books, uh, Heidi Lovig, who was invested in by Lori Grenier. <laughs> like I was reaching out to specific people. To yeah. Start well, and that's smart, you know, focusing your attention on a target, which is really good. Sounds like you, you know, kind of dove in there and, and, you know, so you, you're talking about all this stuff, you started building it. So you were, you were basically a starving student kind of yourself. You were, you know, kind of, it sounds like you were doing things for, um, you know, not in high profit mode, but you were doing them, you know, to get the job done and get the experience. Um, what was the transition? When did you recognize that you could start, you know, doing very high, um, high end production? Cause right now your company does pretty much high end production. You don't do small things anymore. Um, the average business owner, uh, your, I think your ideal client is six and seven figures that they're earning six and seven figures in business. Correct. It's correct. Yeah. Yeah. We, we did a whole shift. <laughs> it was, um, it, it really, well, when I started connecting with the entrepreneurs in the beginning, uh, when I had first uh, hired my first business coach over a few years ago and things like that, getting mentorship and stuff. It, we joined masterminds and things like that. So my partner, uh, Danielle, is also my partner in life and business. And we've been together for over four and a half years. And um, so she she and I, she's very supportive of me and she does a lot of the behind the scenes. A lot of people like that don't know what else goes on. Like she's like the marketing, like she's just building funnels and she's like, she does a lot for our business. So I appreciate her in so many ways. Um, but she, she and I went on this trip together and I think it was really after I started going to the events, we started locking in first after I changed the mindset of like, okay, well, we have like, $500 videos versus like right. 25,000, you know, it was, it was kind of crazy. Cause at first I thought, Oh, this is cool because, um, I would join my first mastermind, but at that point it was almost like everybody in the mastermind was just buying each other's products. So the money right. was just like swapping around and I was like, this doesn't seem right. But, right. but, but it allowed me to join a mastermind within first, the first 
10 days of it, I was so inspired. I was like, well, I'm going to put together this awesome package for like all these people and locked in uh, $24,000 within the first 10 days of that mastermind. And the coach was like, what? Like, and then I did it again. I locked in another 21,000 the next month. And then like, it just started going. I was like, okay. I'm like, okay. So it's almost like that, that shift where you're like, okay, you do it. And then, you know, you can do it. Right. (laughs) And and then you see the value in it because if you're, if you're at a part where you're producing really high quality content, you have team members and you have people to pay for and you want to feel valued as well as profit from it, you have to raise your prices. Mm -hmm. And so I got to the point where if I realized that when people were trying to hire us or said they couldn't afford us, those weren't our ideal clients because those people, those individuals have a, a hard time trying to step past their glass ceiling. Like they they don't, they don't see the bigger picture. So then, then my mind started changing even more. And I was like, well, I started working with people that could afford us at a higher level. And then they trusted us to do the work Mm -hmm. because they knew I was an expert. I have over 10,000 hours in, you know, in my expertise. Like they say, as long as you have over that, I don't even know how many hours it is now, but it became easier to charge higher and work with people that could afford us because they trusted us in our expertise and they let us do right. our job. Right. They didn't micromanage you because people exactly. at a lower level tend to micromanage or ask you questions <laughs> about everything you're doing. And it becomes frustrating, you know, and so I want really quick, you know, because I want the entrepreneurs here. A, a lot of my uh, following is entrepreneurs because as a business coach myself, trying to help people, you know, with that mindset and the motivation to get past some of their own fears that I want to remind you guys that if you're stuck in that situation that you are afraid to pay for quality services, um, you know, you got to get out of that because that's truly, you know, it's the same thing where we got to level up our businesses when it's time to offload, you know, it's time to offload. You need to have a team. You need to have other people and there are quality resources out there. You, I get that you guys need to see the value of what the return is. We need an ROI return on investment because you can't drop 25 grand if it's not going to actually convert. I get that as a small business owner, but give people a chance that are high value, that offer high value services to tell you how that could convert for you. Like, I'm sure if you had a, you know, conversation with Tamara and she'd be like, okay, let me tell you what this video production can do for you. Let me tell you. Uh, And I bet because Tamara, you have connections everywhere. I mean, you have spoken at a bunch of places you have filmed. I, I, like I said, I stalked you today and watched a bunch of videos on your website, uh, you know, the thrive conference and the, you know, there was all kinds of conferences that you either spoke at or did the video production there. So you have connections. So I'm, yep. I'm trying to give people a theoretical thing that it's not just the production. It's the contacts. It's the inspiration that the connection that people are delivering. And so don't be afraid. So go ahead. Exactly. And, th- and that's the biggest thing when people work with us individually, it's not like working with a single like videographer. Like you, if you come in, that's fine. You can hire you know, someone that's creative and, you know, they have a good eye and they can create this, you know, good video for you. Right. Ours is more along the lines of like, okay, 
So we're, what's your key message? Like, what is it exactly? Like, where is this going? Where do you want this to go? Who's your target audience? You know, where, what are, what are you doing from here? How do you want to market it? Is it going to go on YouTube? Is it going in a funnel? Are you going to, is it going in a blog? Like, do you know how to do SEO keywords for YouTube? Like, what is it that that's your end goal? Because we have a, a bigger picture for you as well. Plus we have specific, you know, affiliates and partners that we, we have a specific package with or, or we lead you to if you want something built with like funnels or mm -hmm. if you need something with Facebook ads. Like, uh, we're very, um, we're very knowledgeable in the whole sense of like video, video marketing, video production. Mm -hmm. Like, what is it? You know, PR, <laughs> you yeah. know, social media. Like, those are right. things that, that I talk about, and I I teach individual things as well. Like I said, like with a, our video academy that's launching and things like that. Like, it's not just a video. Like, right. you need to know where to put it. We want you to get eyeballs on it, yes. and at the same time we're connecting you with other people and it's not, it, it might be something where people think, well, yeah, they get their video. We are, they're asking you questions like, okay, now where's it going? And all these things like that. We're not going to just let you give you a video and say, bye. It's right. going to be like, okay, now we're going to help you run this video, you right. know? And so like one of our clients, she was saying how after we created this, you know, um, high quality project for her, she ended up having, wow, gosh, I must remember over 22,000 views, uh, that led into a, a course, a free course for them to start capturing. So she, what, and this was in within like five weeks, you know, like things like that. You have to think like, okay, so what's your end goal? What are we doing here? We're not going to just give it to you and say, bye. We're, mm -hmm. we're there throughout the process. If you have any other questions or anything, we're there for you and I'm going to connect right. you with other people and I build those relationships. So people want to work with us in the future or they want to refer us. Like that's, what's really important to me. And it's all about connecting through people's story as well. And that's really where our whole purpose through serious take Productions is to create, connect and inspire through storytelling through mm -hmm. video production. And mm -hmm. that really started that shift for that brand shifted when I started creating stories through the documentaries. I told myself, I can't create a full length documentary for everyone, but why not create smaller impacting like three to five minute trailers for individuals that are also passionate about what they do. And so mm -hmm. those are the people that we love to work with. And, you know, they're able to share these videos from stages. They're able to share it with their audience. They're able to run ads to them. You know, they can, you know, put the right keywords in YouTube searches. You know, there's so many cool things you can do. Absolutely. I mean, and that's, that's what people have to understand. So utilizing people and their skill set, asking the right questions, or or even getting a recommendation from someone who really who you trust, right? Because mm -hmm. you know, I, I like my video production is, um, hey hey, here I, you know, I actually do film some stuff on my courses, but in general, you know, I wouldn't be the person that I wouldn't be giving people, uh, you know. I wouldn't be telling them how to produce this video. I would be referring them to experts like you. You know, when experts get together, we start referring other people out. We find a circle of people that are top notch in their field. And mm -hmm. so we can refer and deliver value and say, oh yeah, you want to deal with Tamara for that and Stacy for that and Randall for that. And then, you know, and we come together. So that's what you guys want to think of. Again, the entrepreneur in you that is struggling saying, I can't afford a business coach. I can't afford a video. I can't afford these things, 
you know, for instance, I do a 20 free 20 minute consultation. Ask me about it. Let's look at your business. There is a way for you to level up. You're just afraid to see it because money makes us scared, you know, and, and, um, that's what we want to help you understand is that when you do invest money though, you, it does change things. It can change your life. And, and I love, like I said, I loved the videos you did. I love the one you did for John Lee Dumas you know, him on the surfboard, I mean, on his paddleboard. Paddle <laughs> it was that it was just, it was a great video and your style is really cool. And I had no idea. I always wondered how exactly you got the smooth thing. And then I see the guy jump on the skateboard with the cameraman jump on the skateboard. And I was like, okay, now I get it. There's a little behind the scenes tip right there. <laughs> yeah. We use, uh, we use, uh, gimbals and stability rigs. So one of them, it's called the Ronin that you can attach your, your DSLR or smaller camera to where it gets that smooth movement. You know, um, one of our DPs, he does jump on his skateboard here and there. We love pulling out the, the 4k drone to get, you know, those smooth shots, you know, if it's either something with like a lifestyle brand or something that's over the, the, the water, you know, we just did a really cool sh uh, shoot down in Solano beach and uh, also up in Long Beach um, uh, back last Friday, uh, which is we're going to be launching that soon. And I'm super excited to show this one. This is probably like my, my favorite video ever. <laughs> and, uh, which one do you sit in Solano Beach? Yeah, yeah, we filmed one in Solano Beach uh, for a client. She'll be releasing it at her event in Palm Springs in a couple weeks. It's a big oh. uh, entrepreneurial event. I won't talk much about it, but I'm excited to launch. You'll see it soon. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was a cool, cool project for a successful business coach who's connected with a lot of cool people. Um, she's also c consulting people like Sarah Blakely from Spanx. And so like, we're just, you know, connecting with the, the right people that we can tell their story. Really cool. Like, wait, like, right. like one of the shots we got was with her and her family on the beach and we pulled out the drone and, you know, it's family time that getting the core values of her business. That's also, you know, uh, that goes with her, her belief system as well. So family was a big part of that too. So, um, just a lot of cool things that we, that we produce and, um, there's a lot of cool projects coming up. We just recently, uh, finished up working with podcast movement. Those videos are coming out and those are epic. Like, yeah, we've worked with a, a lot of cool event holders for, uh, entrepreneurs. Um, we're working with another company in, in New York in a few weeks. Um, and then actually a couple companies doing like the startup weekends in New York city. Uh -huh. Um, just connecting with other entrepreneurs that, that really want to up level their, their production. Um, but plus they love just connecting as well. And they see the value in, in high production. And, and when people have those questions or disbeliefs or limiting beliefs, basically on like, oh, I can't afford it. I always think to myself, I don't say I can't. <laughs> I say, right. how? Can, what can I do at this very moment that right. can help me get that? Because I really want it. Like, right. I want that. So I'm going to figure out a way to do that. Like, you know, and that's the same way I started with when we were hiring our first business coach. You know, we were like, we didn't have the funds in the bank at the, the moment. Like, when you're first investing your first 10000 or or hire in a coach or a mentor, like, your thoughts are like, what am I doing? Right. <laughs> and then you do it. And then you just start busting through barriers and you have support and you know it, it's important to have coaches and mentors and masterminds where you can help each other people keep you accountable they help yeah. like open up ideas like the creativity the space everything like it just yeah. you know you just you just open your mind more
Absolutely. And that's, I, you know, I, I tell people that all the time as a business coach, you know, sharing that with people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and, but telling people some, you know, it makes them fearful when they're hearing it from the coach themselves, because of course there's a, a financial remuneration that's coming to that person who's, who's trying to give you that information. But as they hear it from other people, recognizing that entrepreneurs that have leveled up, it's because they, they reached up to someone else and that knew more than they did to give them what they needed. Well, they so, say you shouldn't be the smartest person in the room. Like yes. you should surround yourself with people who have been there and done that. And, you know, just keep expanding your circle that way and take in the knowledge from other people and be open about it too. You can't be like argumentative. Just, just listen. We all have our own opinions, but sure. you know, there's people out there that are going to help you more. Yes, absolutely. And you always have to weigh it with what you know to yourself and make sure that it's part of your value set. But there, there's more knowledge out there. You know, people have to, you know, you have to reach entrepreneurism. It's, it's a constant flowing thing. It doesn't, it's not just this stable set of criteria. And this is exactly the way you go. You, you do it. You have to make sure that you're, you're thinking about it and it's a living, breathing thing. I mean, it changes from moment to moment and day to day. So, um, there, we have so much more to talk about, but honestly, we only have a few minutes left. I have had such a fantastic time. You know, Tamara, you are amazing. I, I absolutely love you're it. You're amazing. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I, I so appreciate that. Now, is there any place that people can see you speak? Because I know that you are on a speaking circuit. I know I got to see you speak uh, at Icon. I know that, um, you know, we wanted to talk about Marcus Limonis and you interviewing him and that whole emotional thing was so amazing. We'll have to do another interview at another time. But, um, you know, are you speaking anywhere soon where people could come and see you? You know, it's funny you just brought that. I was going to be speaking at a mastermind in November in California, but they just had to reschedule me. So now I'm picking a new date, but it will be in San Diego um, in probably January. But I am I am starting to speak more at my own uh, retreats uh, that okay. actually focus on uh, video production and teaching individuals that, that really want to take their videos to the next level, but also have an experience with hands-on experience. Mm -hmm. Plus our um, team are also creating videos on the spot for professional side too. So those are more things I'm stepping into. Um, as for a speaking engagement, since that one was just rescheduled, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, um, not, not until 2018. So, okay. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we can also keep in touch with you and find out if things get, you know, get popped on the schedule. Um, for those of you guys know that I am actually leaving actually on Sunday, I'm speaking in New Zealand at the social media conference there. Mm -hmm. And I'm very excited about the evolution. I'm, I'm hoping you guys will come evolve with us. Um, but remember that if you cannot make it, if you haven't gotten tickets yet, you can still fly over. I fly over Sunday. Come on over with me. Um, but, you know, right there. But I know I have, I have my video person. We'll pull out the drone. But you guys go there, go to social media conference conference.co.nz. I'm practicing my Kiwi, right? NZ. They don't say Z. Uh, and you guys can also get a live streaming ticket. If you can't come over there, get a live streaming ticket. I promise you the, the knowledge bombs I'm going to drop on how you can actually make money because that's what it's about, right? Teaching you how to live stream and make money um, will be worth the ticket that you have gotten. And there are some amazing speakers there. You know, the Tweeting Goddess is there from Ireland. Chocolate Johnny is there from Australia. Then we've got all the local people as well. So it's going to be a, a fantastic event. I hope you guys will, will come and check it out. And then, you know, Tamara, what, I mean, we've already talked that you're high level, but how can people work with you if they do either have that ability right now, or if they have someone to refer to you, where would you like them to connect with you? 
Yeah, no, if they're looking for specifically for high-level premium um, production, I would just say go to our website. Uh, you can fill out um, an application or just a, a questionnaire to touch base with us if you're looking for some sort of branding production, anything like that, I'd go to seriestakeproductions.com. Um, uh, for those that are at a specific level where they're just wanting to start doing things and taking more action on their own, um, I do have a five-day uh, video experience that's that's going on coming up um, soon. I have a, a guide that um, we've created that kind of talk about like the misconceptions of video and things like that, that you can learn a little bit and then go into the five-day experience. Uh, that will also lead you into information about our video academy that we're launching where you can actually create um, uh, videos yourself, high-quality videos, even just starting with something as simple as your smartphone. I mean, there's so many things you can do. People don't really realize it, but I mean, when you have the right lighting, right stability, the right audio, you can shoot in 4K right from your iPhone, you know, that you can produce videos. And, and I created a whole iPhone course and people were like, what? You like did that with your iPhone? I'm like, there's, you can work wonders with just your iPhone. But I go in to teach individuals about things like DSLRs and things like that, or iPads, like whatever they're, they want right. to use. Right. Know? Great. Yeah. I got to be, uh, be participant in some of that course. It was really, I mean, it's very in-depth. I really like what you've done. And um, so just remember, you guys, we're going to put up her information. It will also be in the show notes that you guys can connect with her. But um, we do have a link for you guys to go to. And again, it'll be in the show notes. And this is to get the um, the video guide that she's talking about. And then it does launch you into um, letting you sign up for that five-day challenge as well. You can see at the bottom there, it says bit.ly slash video quality guide. And again, we we will be, um, you know, we'll be putting that stuff in the show notes. I wanted to pay attention a little bit here. Those of you guys that downloaded the podcast, we're so appreciative. Thank you. And I hope you will check out episode 17 of Vicky Bitch Live, A Victor Bully in Your Head with uh, Tamara Thompson. But we have some really great comments, um, you know, that were here that I, I just, she was so in depth, you guys. So I apologize that we didn't uh, talk about them before, but, um, you know, people were sharing different stuff, saying how much they appreciated what you had to say. You're such a beautiful person um, and that you just have a lot of passion for others. Um, uh, Patricia said, that's what Vicky's show did for me. Thank you, Patricia. I appreciate that. And um, she can say, oh, Patricia, she said, I can honestly say it's because of Vicky that I've come this far in my business and I don't give up. Boom. That's a mic drop moment right there, girlfriend. Thank you for that. Uh, I see Marcy Melendez had joined us. Um, um, you guys are saying a lot of nice things about me today. So I really appreciate that. And they're very, they said you're very inspiring, um, Tamara, and they're so excited that you're here today. So guys, I'm super excited that you joined us today. I um, want to talk about uh, a quick quote, what her favorite quote is. We always ask our guests what their favorite quote is, Patricia. And um, yours was by Jim Lowell. And it's, there are people who make things happen. There are people who watch things happen. And there are people who wonder what happened. To be successful, you need to be a person who makes things happen. And that's definitely describes you. You know, we've gone over today how you evicted the bully in your head. We know the bully's still there, still visits and still tempts you. But you have done so much with the, um, the difficulties you've been through and you've turned your business into uh, you know, a high-end production company where you're delivering value to everybody that you come in contact with. You're delivering value speaking. Um, like I said, you deliver value with the people that you work with and you're delivering value here today. So we're so excited. Now, on the last second here, is there anything else that you wanted to share real quickly before we uh, do our wrap-up? 
I just want to say thank you, Vicki, for just, just having me on here. And, um, you know, if anyone's having any kind of struggles in your life, which we all do, I mean, we all have gotten to these points where, you know, you just have to pick yourself back up, get through the next day or minute or hour or whatever it is, if it's anything from like my story from addiction to something in your business where you're like, I just want to give up. There's been countless times in my life that I've just wanted to give up and, you know, without, you know, further ado on that part, like I've had people that have been a big support system from my friends, from people in treatments to, you know, people in business, to my partner, Danielle, uh, to other entrepreneurs. Like, I'm just really grateful to have been, been able to be here today and just grateful to just have a full schedule and just be able to keep connect, connecting with new people. And, you know, it's, it's all about the experiences that we have in life. And, you know, just know that there's always somebody there for you through, throughout whatever you're experiencing and just pick yourself back up and just keep taking action. Like that's like all I can really say is like, I'm just a massive action taker and I always just figure things out. Like I don't, I don't give up. It's you right. just that no quit living type of Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Well, and that, like I said, that's, that's the, definitely the way to be. Um, you are, like I said, you are a rock star. We are so blessed to have had you on and I'm, I just feel honored that you shared your story with us and, and delivered that hope and that opportunity for other people. Um, you guys, there is, there's so much going on. You guys know, um, that I am, that there's no shows coming up because I am going to New Zealand. And then right after that, I am going to Fiji. I'm going to be at Tony Robbins private Island. I'm very excited about that too, is my chance to work on leveling up my, uh, my connections and finding some really great people to work with. So if you guys are in Fiji or you're going to be there September 22nd through the 29th, I would love to connect with you as well. So make sure to send me a message. Um, and the next show, so our next Vicki Fetch live show is actually October 4th. And that is another Evicta Bully in Your Head with Miss Candy Saki. So Candy's an award-winning photographer, vlogger, and live streamer. So we're excited to have her here to share her story of trial and tragedy and how she turned it into triumph. And um, while we're, you know, signing off there, again, we have a rock star here. We're going to put up the information for Tamara so you guys can uh, make sure you can take a screenshot here of all of the ways to reach her in social media her Facebook page, um, her uh, Twitter, fa uh, Periscope, Snapchat, Instagram, LinkedIn, definitely connect with this woman. If you have not watched her, if you've not seen what she does, you've got to connect. Um, and if you go to serious, um, seriousTakeProductions.com, you can stalk her like I did today and watch some of the fantastic videos she did and the great testimonials from people like John Lee Dumas and, and some other people. Again, we are uh, running a couple minutes over, so I'm just going to tell you guys, I'm going to introduce myself for those of you guys who don't know me, in case this is your first time on the podcast or watching it live, guys, hello, my name is Vicki Fitch. I am a direct sales expert. I've been in the industry 20 years, top 10 sales and recruiting internationally for more than a decade. I've also built and sold four companies. I am an author, a speaker, and an international business consultant helping you get outside the 5,000 to turn your passion into your profits. Don't be scared to level up your business. Don't be afraid. And you guys go to Vicki Fitch. Com. That's V-I-C-K-I-F as in Frank, I-T-C-H dot com slash B-I-Z. Click on the boxes you're interested in. Let me know how I can help you, whether it's offloading, business consulting, you get a free 20-minute consult, joining the rock stars, whatever you need, let's connect. Let's, let's have the opportunity here to see if I can help you level up your business. So I appreciate each and every one of you guys. You are an amazing audience. And uh, I do live stream typically every day at 6 PM. Although I have to tell you the schedule is going to be off in uh, New Zealand and Fiji. I think that's like 
you know, a different time. I'm not sure I'm going to be on at my regular times, but I will still be dropping value for you guys. Hopefully you're following me and definitely uh, check in for those live streams. I appreciate each and every one of you. And I want to remind you, like I always do, to dream it, believe it, and achieve it. Ciao. Thank you.